The reading today is from 2 Timothy 2. It's on page 1198 in the Bibles in front of you. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may be obtaining the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, because he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those indulging it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like a gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instrument for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth.
and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Thank you, Chris. G'day, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome to church. My name's Pete, if you don't know me. I um, kick around at the night service with Dave Hanbury, which is good times. But uh, we've got a big chunk of text to get into today, which is good. There's lots of people here today. It's wonderful. Anyway, before we get to work, how about we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this wonderful day that you have made and that you are on the throne and that we get to open up your word. I pray today that we would uh, learn from it, be challenged by it and encouraged by it for your glory and honour. Amen. If somebody was to ask me this question, in one word, describe your dad, I'd say generous. My dad is generous. See, my old man, he's always the first one to offer to pay for a meal when you go out to a restaurant. My dad is the first one to offer someone a lift home if they need it. He's a generous man. And so naturally in my family, this was something that he tried to cultivate. Sometimes it happened, sometimes it didn't. So for example, if my sister, my younger sister, if she had McDonald's and I went up to her and asked her for half of a cheeseburger... She wasn't always willing to hand it over, see? But I tell you, to her credit, this wasn't always the case. You see, if my sister picked up a gastro bug, she was more than happy to send that around. Mate, that thing would run through the whole family, eh? Didn't matter if it was flu, gastro, whatever. She was more than willing to hand that over. The reason I start with that is there are some things that are easier to share than others, right? And I think it's the same with us and our faith in Jesus. It isn't always easy to share Jesus with people, let's be honest. Say you're at a coffee shop after church and um, you see a friend there and they ask you, so what have you been up to today? And you're like, I've been to church, under your breath. They're like, what would you say? You like Smurfs? And you're like, I've been to church. You know, Or you catch up with another friend and they say to you, where do you go on a Tuesday morning or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night? What do you get up to? And then you turn into this coy toddler. Oh, Bible study. You know. And what do you get up to then? Oh, just stuff. You know, just hanging out and stuff. And it's funny, hey? And I don't know what reason it is, and it's different for everyone, whether it's a fear of rejection or a fear of looking stupid. I don't know. It can be hard to open up about our faith and what it is that we believe. And you know what? That is exactly what Paul is addressing with Timothy in our text. And here we have a church planter, a pastor, and he's firing up a young pastor. He's firing up and saying, brother, be proud of your faith. Stand up in order to build a gospel legacy, to pass it on. And two weeks ago, and Bruce just touched on it then, he launched our vision for the church for the next five years, growing God's church through the gospel. And I like that vision, and I'm pretty sure God does too, because he wrote about it in the first two verses that we'll look at. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got an old Greek scroll, roll it out, we're going to get into it. All right, first couple of verses. You then, my son, so this is Paul talking to the young pastor, Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard 
that's the good news about Jesus, things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see the passing on? It's going from one person to the next. In these first two verses, we have four generations of people. Check it out on the screen. Me, that's Paul. You, that's Timothy. Reliable people, the next generation. And then we have others, the next generation. Four generations nailed in the first two verses. So chapter one, we looked at last week, is all about remaining loyal to this gospel message. And that's kind of like the banner that waves over this whole book. And so in chapter two, our stomping ground today, that's still the case. But here there's a move kind of from the message to the people. Or let's follow the text and we'll run with soldiers. Soldiers who are going to carry this message from one generation to the next, building a gospel legacy. But it's going to be tough. I think that's evident in the text. And so the question then is how do we, as soldiers here at St. Matthew's, build a gospel legacy? To rise up in determination for, for Jesus, get fired up for him rather than shrinking away in fear. Now, it's funny you should ask, because that's what the rest of the passage is about, 2 Timothy 2. And it answers that exact question. To build a gospel legacy, we need soldiers for the Lord who embrace gospel chains. That's the first half, 3 through to 13, and emphasise gospel claims. That's picked up in the second half, 14 through to 26. So I'll nail through that. Embrace gospel chains. Why? Why embrace? Why am I saying that? Well, have a look at verse 3 in your Bibles. Paul says to Timothy, join with me in what? A dinner party? A dip in the pool? The cheeky martini? No, join with me in suffering, he says, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't fear the suffering, brother, he says. It's rise up. Join with me. And that is counterintuitive, is it not? If this is an invite to a dinner party, it's a dinner party being held in Belangolo State Forest and Ivan Malat is your host, you know? If this is an invite to a dip in the pool, the pool is full of sharks, your dry martini's got a twist of cyanide in it, this is not, this is not inviting, Call me crazy, but it's not. Join with me in suffering, he says. And what's more is that grammatically the imperative here and the sense of this verb to uh, join with me or uh, join together, it doesn't really give us a choice if you're a Christian. It's not like I can say, you know, I'll take the salvation but hold the suffering. But I must ask, is this really a surprise? I mean, we worship a man who was murdered. I mean, Paul was murdered. Timothy is just another man in a long line of Christian martyrs. To build a gospel legacy here at St. Matthew's, we, just like Timothy, must join with Paul and embrace gospel chains and the struggle that, that goes with it. So let me ask you, is your life... It's worth asking the question, all butterflies and fairy floss, not much doing, it's not that crazy. 
You know, if it is, I'd be questioning myself, and am I really on the front lines for Jesus? Or am I just some clandestine Christian kicking in the back? It's worth asking. And keeping the good news of Jesus alive here in Australia, especially in this ever-growing secular society, I mean, it's a battle. It's hard work, but it's nothing new. I mean, the truth of Jesus and his people have always been under fire, right through church history. It's always been the case. And so the question for us is not so much why should we join with our forefathers embracing gospel chains. The question is not why, because we should expect it, right? The question is more, well, how? How do we rise up in determination for Jesus and embrace gospel chains rather than shrink away in fear against the world that hates him? How do we do that? Well, helpfully, in the text that was read by us, God presents a number of similes here to help us figure, out, figure this out. And they all share a common trait. In verse 4, we've got a soldier. Verse 5, there's an athlete. And in verse 6, a farmer. And the common link between all three, I think, is self-discipline. Soldiers for the Lord must cultivate self-discipline in order to embrace suffering for the gospel. Discipline. No matter what my fears, no matter what my struggles are out there, I'm for Jesus. We cultivate self-discipline, I think, by being, firstly, kingdom-minded. Check it out. The text. A soldier. He endures the battle, right? Why does he do that? Because he's got victory on the mind. I mean, this bloke gets knocked around, he's knocked to the ground, and he gets up again. Disciplines himself to remember the goal. Ah, that's it. That's where I'm going. That's why I'm here. Kingdom-minded. A lecturer at college, college I um, studied at, she told me this story about a conference that was being held in Sydney, I think. And um, I think it was about why there's no God. And uh, anyway, the um, presenter gets up, and before he starts, he asks the crowd, uh, is there anyone here uh, who's a Christian? And one girl stands up. And you know what he says to her, the presenter? He says, don't worry, love. We'll speak slowly for you. What? The struggle is real, right? Christians being made to feel stupid. I mean, you believe in a guy who was, who's conquered death? Really? This God-man? And it's especially hard to stand up for him when you've been made to feel like a fool. It would be easy to shrink away. And sadly, I think a lot of people do. Discipline. Be kingdom-minded. Ah, that's where I'm going. That's the goal. Press on. Again, from the text, we have an athlete. It's the second one there. An athlete endures rigorous training schedule. Don't they? You probably watched the, the Olympics lately. I mean, they give it all on the track. And they push through the exhaustion. They push through the cramps. Why? They've got their eyes on the finish. That's what they're looking at. Kingdom-minded. It's fair to say that I've met a number of people over the years, Christians, who have suffered the Christian life in different ways. One of my good friends from Wollongong, she, um, praise God, became a Christian and all of her friends left her. I couldn't believe it. 
Not one of them hung around. They slowly dropped off when she became a believer. I mean, I know people whose families shun them at this Christian idea that people are, are getting involved in. People label believers bigots. I mean, it's all happening, right? Just read the paper. Governments restrict us. You can't go into that school anymore. It's not going to happen. But like an athlete, discipline. Ah, push through. That's, that's where I'm going. Kingdom-minded. The last one here is we have of this farmer. What does a farmer do? I mean, well, he gets up early, the crack of dawn, and he's out, rain, hail, or shine. He's on the tractor, he's digging holes, he's putting up fences, he's in the sun, scorching his back, and he's just enduring through it. The physical pain, why? Because he has disciplined himself to look forward, looking at the crops. Ah, that's where I'm going. Man, we've got to do the same. Be kingdom-minded, pushing through. If we want to rise up in determination for Jesus to leave a gospel legacy, we need to discipline ourselves to be kingdom-minded because life for Jesus can be tough. So let me encourage you to press on. Press on, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you, Don Carson puts it this way, and I think it's great. Are you homesick for heaven? Because if you're not, your days are going to be tough. If you're not focused on that, the struggle is real. Building a gospel legacy is hard work. So how about this week, you take five, or as the miners call it, take a smoke break, and fix your eyes on the kingdom. That's right, that's where I'm going. Because a healthy-minded soldier is an effective one. Discipline. So secondly, I think to embrace suffering for Jesus, these gospel chains, we must discipline ourselves to be single-minded. We live in a world where we are, at the click of a button, we've got this wealth of information, right? It's coming from everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Wikipedia, the news, whatever it is, it is coming. And we live in a world that is ridiculously busy. There's things happening all the time. Everything is moving at a million miles an hour, It's like somebody's turned up the stereo in your ears. It's all happening. You know, you're chasing kids around, grandkids. It's all a bit crazy. Your calendar's so heavy with appointments that it's falling off the wall. We live in a busy world, but we do live in it, right? So we can't get out of it. We can't avoid this stuff, but we can manage it. I think that's the key. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, don't get caught up in civilian affairs, In other words, live in the world, brother, sure, of course. But remember, first and foremost, you are a Christian. Discipline yourself to be single-minded in that regard. C.S. Lewis has this fantastic quote in Screwtape Letters, which is a a book, fantastic book, collection of letters that's written from this senior demon, Screwtape, to um, one of his henchmen. And they're talking about these tactics that they use to mess with Christians and their walk. And Screwtape says in one of his letters uh, to this other younger demon, he says, They find it, talking about humans, all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar, that's God, while the familiar, the busyness of life, is before their eyes. They find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar, while the familiar is before their eyes. 
Keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. That's what you need to do to him. In other words, if you want to move a Christian away from Jesus and his message, fill his life with as much stuff as you can. That's what he's saying. Fight their single-mindedness by presenting many different things for them to focus on, except for the message of Jesus. And the enemy's crafty. He totally is. And so we've got to manage it. I think it's helpful to name it. What is it that's clouding your Jesus vision? And discipline yourself this week to say, you know what, I'm first and foremost, I'm a Christian and I'm all about him and his mission. Yes, love your wife. Yes, love your husband. Love your children. Do your work well. But none of that will falter my resolve as a believer. This week I'm going to get to church. Now I'm going to get to small group. I'm going to meet up with that struggling girlfriend who's over coffee who's been battling away. I'm going to make time for that. That's the first thing, I think, to build a gospel legacy. We need to embrace gospel chains by cultivating self-discipline in those two areas. And secondly, we need to emphasise gospel claims. This is the second part of the chapter. What that means is that we need to talk about it, right? We've got to talk about it, tell people, fire up, become a small group leader, whatever it is. You might have read in the paper or watched the YouTube clip this week. This US Libertarian Party presidential candidate, Gary Johnson, it's embarrassing. He had an embarrassing lapse when he was asked a question on foreign affairs. And this guy should know it, right? Anyway, they said to him, so what would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? You know what his response was? What's Aleppo? The guy's like, the interviewer's like, are you serious? You don't know what Aleppo is? Have you ever heard of Syria? A place that's in there? A mental blank, I'm sure, the poor bloke. My point is that if we are going to emphasise gospel claims, and we should, it's important that we know what we're talking about. We know the truth, what the gospel claims are. We of all people should know it. And that's why Paul says in verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. These things being that which just preceded in the letter at verse 8. It's the good news of Jesus. Remember, it says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. The good news of Jesus is that he has conquered death, the wages for sin. The good news is that the promised king from the line of David is now securely on the throne ruling and reigning over this world. That is good news. Verse 11 lays out the implications of this statement for us. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, this is the perseverance, Christian life is tough, we will also reign with him. In death, death is defeated by Christ, sin is dealt with, And we have become royal servants of the king. Man, that's awesome. Jesus is saviour and Jesus is king. Amen? This is our gospel. If we're going to pass it on, it's important that we get it right. I I had a run-in with this guy the other week. I was, um, I'll run-in doesn't sound right, but I was loitering around the menswear section 
uh, in a shop and I was lamenting over the fact that I've gone up a jean size and uh, this guy came up to me and uh, it turned out he was one of the workers there, one of the assistants and we started chatting and he said to me, so what do you get up to during the week? I'm like, oh, here we go. There's nothing that truncates a conversation more than when you say, oh, I'm a Christian, I minister in a church. They're like, oh, see you, champ. You know? So I had an opportunity there, shrink back or be disciplined, stand firm. So anyway, I told him, told him what I do. And he, it's funny, he goes, what? And you're allowed to wear that? <laughs> you know? And you're allowed to get married? You know? Actually, I'm just going to put this pink thing in my pocket. <laughs> you know, he thought it was so funny. And you've got a wife? Oh dear. Anyway, I, um, I went back to that shop uh, the other night and I was paying for my clothes and I saw him again. And he came up and he's like, I'll take, I'll take money. All right. And he said, would you, would you mind just waiting around for a little while after I finished serving this last customer? And so I did. And then he came up to me, this French guy, with, with great difficulty. I could see he was flustered in his neck and he's, he's scratching and he said to me, how he, he, he wasn't proud of things that he had done in his life. In the middle of David Jones. You know, this bloke had finally he'd worked up the courage at, at some point to go and speak to his local priest about this. And you know what the priest told him? He told him that you're basically too far from being forgiven. He said this to me with tears in his eyes. He was more worried not about himself anymore but the fact that he wanted his wife and his baby saved because it was too late for him. I had 30 seconds before the next customer came to tell him firstly how sorry I was that he'd been lied to. That what he had been told was not the truth and that no one is too far from being saved by our Lord. No one. Man, if we are going to build a gospel legacy, we need to know the truth so that we can pass the truth on and correct the lies that people have been told. And that's exactly why Paul is telling Timothy to hold fast to the truth because lies destroy people. Verse 18, people have departed from the truth. That's false teachers. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. That's the lie in this case. And what? They destroy the faith of some. Just like my brother that's in the shopping centre there. His faith was destroyed by a liar. So we need to be able to step up and correct it with the truth of our loving, forgiving Lord. It's worth noting that if you know the gospel, you'll be able to discern and smell out a lie from a mile away. You'll be able to pick it up. And the text helpfully uses a simile of gangrene. Gangrene for false teaching. It just smells funny. You know it. And we should be able to pick it. We need to know the truth. So to build, the gospel, build a gospel legacy, we need to uh, emphasise gospel claims by knowing the truth and not being afraid to say it, but lastly, by uh, living the truth. We've got to live it. Got to live it, man. You see, false teaching like gangrene, it not only smells bad, it looks terrible. It looks terrible. The life of a hypocrite. To create a gospel legacy, it's not just about doctrine. It's not just doctrine we need to be worried about. We've got to be worried about our lives as well. How do I look? How's my life? 
How's my godliness? Good doctrine and good life are not mutually exclusive. They are congruent. They go together. Paul is always going on about this. That's why Paul says things like, present yourself as one reliable. Avoid godless chatter. Don't get involved in it. Verse 22, twenty-two, flee evil, pursue faith, love and peace. Don't be quarrelsome, you see? Some of the most spectacular falls in Christian ministry, vocational ministry in particular, is not usually the result of bad teaching. It's character. Whether it's bullying or adultery or drunkenness, it's character. So Paul's exhortations, of course... Don't just apply to those who are up the front or whatever. They apply to all Christians who carry the message of Jesus. And let me tell you, it's easy to come to church on a Sunday and behave like we've got it all sorted because I, I've done it. I totally do it. And people look at you and they're like, oh, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Oh, bless him. Yeah, I really like this guy. You know, and then you go home and you behave like a jerk or you're a gossip. You know, you just come in here and you're putting a bandage over something but underneath, it's festering, man. It doesn't look good. It looks bad. If you really want to know what someone is like behind closed doors, just ask those people they live with. Ask the husband. Ask the wife. Maybe not the kids. You know? They know what your life's like. How would you feel... I was thinking about this week. How would you feel if Bruce had a little spy camera in every area of your life? You know? in, well, not in the bathroom. That'd be weird. But if he did... You know, what would, what would he say about your life? How would you feel about that? St. Matthews, if we want to create a gospel legacy, we've got to flee from evil, pursue peace, because the world is watching you. Don't be afraid to step up and live for Jesus. Don't be afraid to say no to that extra drink. Don't be afraid to not get involved in that gossip. The world is watching you. You talk to talk, you've got the words, but do you walk to walk? Just to finish here, I find something quite ironic about this whole, this whole chapter, this whole passage, is that Paul's in chains, literally, isn't he? And he tells us to embrace our own chains for the sake of the gospel. But have a look at the last two verses, verse 25 to 26. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That's good. And they will come to their senses and, listen to this, Escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Who's really in chains here? It's not the carriers of the gospel. It's not Paul. It's those who don't know the truth. They are in the chains of the devil. They are under the chains of sin. And that's why if we here at St. Matthew's are going to build a gospel legacy, we, we need to embrace our own gospel chains and emphasise gospel claims. Because, friends, it is only the gospel that will set this world free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this, uh, what can be a very challenging word. And uh, I do pray that you would be at work in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray, Father, that those who you are doing business with right now, that they wouldn't be afraid to stick around and chat with, um, with a friend or go out for a coffee or come and chat with one of us. Uh, whatever. And uh, so, Lord, we do thank you, as always, for Jesus, and we give thanks and pray in his name. Amen.